Our sermon text this morning is from Galatians chapter 5 and 6. If you'll find it in the Pew Bible, it's page 916. Galatians 5 and 6. This is our last sermon in the series that we've done since Easter on the Holy Spirit and His work in our lives. And today we're going to sum it all up with giving some practical instructions to help you uh, walk with the Spirit or keep in step with the Spirit. Our focus is going to be verses 25 all the way into chapter 6. But as our custom has been, I'm going to start reading at verse 13, which makes for a long reading today. So buckle up. Uh, After all, this is church, and if you're not reading the Bible, what are we doing, right? So let's read together, starting in verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing... He deceives himself, but let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of God stands forever. Amen. Uh, All of us at some point in time have known somebody who stood out from the crowd. Have you ever known somebody like that who just stood out? 
Uh, when I was in college, my roommate for a few years was a guy who was six feet seven. And uh, just, that meant just about everywhere he went, he stood out, especially when he was with me. It was a very comical sight, actually. I had another friend as well who was six foot seven or eight, and me in between the two of them was uh, like a hobbit of some sort. If you don't know what a hobbit is, ask me later. I'll be excited to, <laughs> to share that with you. Right? Yes, you, we all know. Yeah. You can stand out for many different reasons, physical things, personality things. The summary of Paul's teaching here at the end about the Holy Spirit is this. The Spirit has been sent by Jesus to dwell within the heart of every believer to help you stand out in God's way. There's a certain kind of character that God wants us to have, that the Holy Spirit builds in us, which then gets expressed in our life as we, as it says in verse 25, keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Uh, B.B. Warfield, who was a great uh, theologian last century, early last century, once told a story of, of a man that he knew. He was a general in the United States Army who was sent out west to a, a city that was in, in riots You know, during that time period where the west was kind of in upheaval a little bit and there was riots going on. And this general was walking through the streets. There was chaos everywhere. And he saw this young man walking down the street with great confidence and calmness. Uh, it's like nothing was phasing him. He was so impressed by it that as he passed by him, he kind of turned to look more at the guy, uh, only to realize that that guy had also turned to look at him. And he says the stranger came right up to him, straight up to him, and put his finger in the chest of the general and asked him without any introduction, what is the chief end of man? <laughs> and the guy responded, the chief end of man is to glorify God. And to enjoy him forever. Of course, the first question and answer of the shorter catechism. And so the general said, I knew you were a shorter catechism boy by your looks. True story. Now, I didn't, I didn't tell you that because I love the shorter catechism. I do. And we teach it here at Greater Hope to our kids. And we should learn it ourselves because it's a beautiful summary of the faith. I told it to you because that young man didn't just display catechism. He displayed Jesus. That that man saw him and knew by his character that was being displayed, there was something different about that person. It was not just skin deep. It wasn't that he was taller. It wasn't that he had a different personality. God lived inside that guy. I just know it. Now, don't you want that to be true of you? God lives inside that person. Well, I'm telling you this morning, it can be true of you. Let's look at our bulletin and we'll see a little bit as to how it can be true. Very simple this morning. There are three points. First of all, how do we keep in step with the Spirit? How do we do it? And then secondly, we're going to see what it doesn't look like. And then we'll end by showing you what it does look like once we do keep in step with Him. So first of all, how do we keep in step with the Holy Spirit? Look at verse 25. Look down at your Bible. Uh, Paul gives us what we call a conditional statement. That's the grammatical structure of verse 25, a conditional statement, an if-then. An if-then always has two parts, all right? Once again, I'm going into English teacher mode. Just for a second, let me do it, and I think it'll help you understand what Paul's saying. There are two parts to an if-then statement. There's the if and there's the then. There's the hypothesis or the condition, and then there's the conclusion. There's always the same order between those two things. If 
we live by the Spirit, that's the condition that must be met, then let us also keep in step with the Spirit. The condition is that we are alive by the Holy Spirit's power. What he's describing there, of course, is not just physical life. Everybody's got that if you're still living. You've got, spirit, you've got physical life within you, biology life. He's talking about spiritual, eternal life, which is given as a gift of grace through the death of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection, given by means of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit comes into a person's life, a sinner like me, and takes that sinner and brings him or her alive. He gives us eyes to see the beauty of Jesus. He gives us a heart that wants to follow Jesus. He gives us trust and repentance and all those beautiful fruit of the Spirit that we talked about in previous weeks. Spiritual life. Paul says, if that condition is met, if you're a person in whom the Spirit dwells, then here's what must now happen. Let us keep in step with that same Spirit. This right here is the Christian life in one sentence. One sentence. We receive life as a gift, and that same gifter, the same one who gives the gift, stays in our life to be our standard and our commander for living that life out. The Spirit's the giver of life. The Spirit is also the commander of life. Every single day, every single moment. Now, the reason I use the word commander or standard is because the word keep in step in Greek is a word used most often for soldiers. It's a word that describes the formations that soldiers get into in order to march. So they're in a formation, they're marching, their commander is calling out the commands. When he says, attention, everybody goes attention. When he says left, everybody goes left, right, everybody goes right. When he says present arms, everybody presents arms, and so on and so forth. The commander's command becomes their duty. Because they have enrolled and enlisted in the army, they must fall into formation. That's the same thing for a Christian. You see, if a commander right now, if a military general came in and said to all of us, attention, we wouldn't have to obey, would we? Because we're not enlisted unless you happen to be enlisted in the room. He's not our commander. Same thing is true If the Spirit hasn't given you life yet, if you've not been born again, you won't be able to hear or won't be able to follow the commands of the Holy Spirit in your heart. But once he has given you life, that word comes out from the Spirit and commands our attention. We have to fall in line with him. And it's a joyful thing to fall in line, as we'll see in just a minute. It's not something that's a drudgery. Just like a, a soldier, typically it's, it's good for a soldier to actually want to be in the military. Things don't go well if you join and don't want to be there. It usually doesn't last very long because it's too hard to not want to be there. Right? There's too high of a cost. And so Christians are those who want to be there. Because the Spirit has given them life. And so when the Holy Spirit makes a commandment, wow, it harmonizes with my heart. And I want to fall in line with what he has to say. This is the Christian life in a sentence. And I want to tell you, many, many Christians, I fear, don't understand how that life is supposed to work. 
And so I want to point out three things, and this is still within the first point, but I'm going to give you three little pointers from this verse about how to keep in step with the Holy Spirit in your life. And the first pointer is this. If you're taking notes, you might want to write these down and think about them. The first one's this. You have to get the grammar right. Now, last service, Jan Frost amened that very loud. And she probably thought I was talking about English grammar. I'm not, as much as I care deeply about it. I'm talking about gospel grammar. You've got to get the gospel grammar right. In a conditional statement, the if always follows the then. It can't be the other way around. Paul does not say, if you keep in step with the Spirit, then you will live by the Spirit. And you've got to understand that if you're going to live the Christian life. Way too many Christians and way too many people assume that we are saved and God shows us favor because of what we do, because of our performance. If I keep in step with you, Lord, if I toe the line, then you will love me, then you will bless me, then you will take me to heaven. That is to get the grammar completely backwards. And it's not just a matter of grammatical error. It's a matter of life and death to get that grammar backwards. Because there is no salvation by human works. None. Not a single chance. And yet how many people think when they die they're going to stand before God and God's going to judge them. And they think they're going to be able to say, hey God, look at all the good things I did. Don't they outweigh the bad, right? Right? After all, I wasn't as bad as Joe. Let me in. And it cannot, will not, the gate will not open. Because what God demands is a perfect righteousness, which can only be received as a gift from Jesus Christ. You've got to get the grammar right. We don't obey in order to be saved. We don't follow the commands of the Holy Spirit to be saved. We follow them because we are saved. Now, second thing, second hint from this verse. You've got to get the grammar right, and you also have to learn to listen to the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a lot of, um, when it says keep in step with the Spirit, it implies this, right? If you're keeping in step with Him, that means you're listening to what He's telling you to do, and you're doing it. You've got to know what he's telling you to do in order to know to do it. Everybody following me there? But a common misconception is this. The Holy Spirit speaks privately to me what he speaks to nobody else. And so most people, when they think about hearing the Holy Spirit, think about inner nudges that they might feel. They think about ideas that they come up with and really like in their own imagination. But that is not ever the way the Bible talks about learning from God. Not once. Not once does it say that. God does not communicate himself privately, but publicly. And there's a reason for this, and it's a huge reason. If God communicated privately to each individual only, what would be the result of that? Just take it home for a minute. Have you ever had a situation where you thought God was telling you one thing? And your spouse thought God was telling them another? How did that go? Maybe it was a parenting decision. Maybe it was a job decision or a move that you had to make. I mean, wasn't that, wasn't that hard to referee? Because after all, I think God's talking to me. You think God's talking to you. And we're at an impasse. I mean, each of us just says, God told me. God told me. Well, how do we know if he did or not? 
this is the, actually, this is the reason why there's so many religions in the world is because people are following their own imaginations. God says, I want to try to solve that problem. I will solve that problem by giving to you a publicly attested word that is written down that you can't fool with. Everybody has access to it. If you want access to it, you can get it. And it tells you all that God wants you to know. And so the voice of the Holy Spirit, if you want to know how to listen to his commands, read this book. Or as God told Ezekiel and John in the Bible, eat this book, he says. It's a picturesque way, not literally eat it. It's a picturesque way of saying consume it. Make it your food. Make it your daily beverage. Take it in and then you will learn what it is that the Holy Spirit is telling you. If you're far away from the Bible, you can't assume that you know what the Holy Spirit is saying. And actually, I'll be really bold with you. You don't know what the Holy Spirit is saying if you're not listening to the Bible. It's impossible. Uh, Don't mistake your warm fuzzies for the Holy Spirit. Right? After all, our warm fuzzies change. We know God does not change. And so go to the unchanging word that he has delivered. Now, third tip or hint, you got to get the grammar right. you got to learn how to listen, but then you have to learn how to love what you hear. That word, keep in step, it's a military word, but it's sometimes also used metaphorically to describe full agreement with someone else. Like in English, we do this too. We say, uh, that person is towing the line, towing the party line, towing the line of the group. What does that mean? That means anything the group says, I think, and I like it, and I agree with it. I'm in. That's what this word means. When the Holy Spirit speaks, in order to keep step with him, I have to learn how to love what he says. How do you do that? Well, think about it. How do you learn to love anything? Spouses. You fall in love, you get married, and then there's time. What happens with that time? Well, one of two things. Your love can grow or your love can fade and run into the ground. Tragically, we've seen them both happen. What's the difference between growing in love and fading in love? And there's your answer to how to grow in love with God and what he says. The couple that grows in love is the couple that devotes time to it. It's it's the couple that learns how to deal with problems and arguments together rather than apart, growing bitter against one another in silence. It's the one that learns how to talk it out and talk it through. Same thing with God. We have to learn how to talk things through with God. We have to learn how to devote sufficient time to Scripture and prayer in order to cultivate in us a love for the Lord. We have to learn how to put down those thoughts that are against God within us so that we can raise up the thoughts that are for Him. This takes effort. So keeping in step with the Spirit is not an idle or passive thing. It's active. He has given us life. He is speaking through his word. He's dwelling in our hearts to help us actively pursue a deeper love for the Lord. The person who loves the sound of God's voice is the person who keeps in step or toes the line with the Holy Spirit. And again, joyfully, joyfully, we want to listen to the Spirit's voice because the Spirit has given us a delight in what he has to say. A good example of this is um, 
Tim Keller used to tell a story about his ministry in New York City. He had a woman come to Redeemer, his church there in New York, uh, who was very skeptical, very secular, and she came for a while. She was struggling to get the teaching, and then one day after a while, he had a meeting with her, and she said, I finally get it, Pastor Tim. I finally get it. You're telling me, and you've been telling me all along, a person cannot be saved by anything they do or anything they are, but only by what God does for them in Jesus. I get it. And Tim said, all right, great. You want to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior? And the woman said, no. Actually, that's the reason why I don't want to. Tim Keller didn't know what to do with that. He kind of was thrown back by it. And so he asked her, okay, why? I mean, grace, that's a great message. Who doesn't want grace? And she says, here's why. I know that if it's only by grace, God can ask anything of me, and I have to do it. If it's just a teeny little bit about my works and contribution, I've got a contract with God that I can say, God, yeah, you can ask me to do this, but not that, because that's not in the contract. I did my fair share, you did your fair share, and these things are off limits for you, O oh Lord. She understood Christianity better than most Christians do. That if it's all by grace, if you get the grammar right, the listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit, the developing a love for the voice of the Holy Spirit is not that, is not that burdensome. Because it flows out of a heart of gratitude for the grace of God. Anything God asks me, yes, sir. Because you've loved me. You gave yourself for me. You promised that I will inherit all things. Yes, sir. Isn't that amazing? So let me ask you, how well do you keep in step with the Holy Spirit? According to those three tips, how well do you keep in step with the Spirit? Let's think now about some application. First, we're going to look at what it doesn't look like, and then we're going to look at what it does look like. So first of all, what does it not look like? Look at verse 26. He tells us, right, right out of the gate, he gives us a very clear example of what walking with the Spirit does not look like. He says, let us not become conceited, conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Walking with the Holy Spirit does not look like becoming conceited. Now, he says becoming conceited, not Stop being conceited or you are conceited, quit it. He says, don't become it. So that's a reminder that he's talking to Christians. And he's saying that even Christians who have the Holy Spirit living in him could, living in them, could fall into this trap called becoming conceited. Well, when I say conceited, what do you think of? I think to me, the first thing that comes out is, well, a conceited person is a person who is really full of themselves. And that's a great definition, although I would add one thing to it based on this word here. It's being full of yourself or being full of anything else, even if it's a good thing, that is not God. The Greek word conceited is a combination of two words, the word empty and the word glory. Empty, glory. That's why the King James Version translates that verse, vainglory. That's what it's trying to get at. It means that we have a head and a heart full of a bunch of nothing when it comes to glory. 
glory defined by God's glory. Everything else compared to God has comparatively little to no glory. This is the word the Bible uses all throughout to describe idols, false gods that we create for ourselves and worship. They are nothingness, it says. They are emptiness. And the Psalms tell us those who worship them become like them. If your God is empty of glory, you will become empty of glory in your mind and in your heart. That's what it means to be conceited. And so you will, you will either think very, very highly of yourself, far more than you should, or, as it says here, you will become someone who envies everybody else because they're what you want to be. That's what happens. Putting your life, putting into your heart idols, that is anything that's not God and trying to worship it as if it's God or to trust it as if it were God, is like putting a board on a triangle. Take a big board, put it on a triangle, what do you have? A seesaw. A seesaw, by definition, goes up and down and up and down. It's impossible for the seesaw to just be there. Stable. It's an unstable thing by definition because it's on the top of a point. Anything in my heart that is not God, that I'm treating as God, becomes that point. And so, he says, it will lead us either to go up or down. If we have that thing that we think we have to have, that thing we're worshiping, we will provoke other people. We'll, we'll be arrogant and we'll look down and we'll treat them poorly and treat them with contempt. If we don't have the thing we think we have to have, we'll envy everybody who has it. One or the other will happen if you put your heart on an idol. For example, spouses can do this. Marriage is a great thing. Spouses are awesome things. But if you worship your marriage or your spouse as if they're God, looking to them for all good things and filling in the blank of, if I don't have a perfect husband, my life is nothing. If we think that way, every single time, Instead of loving our spouse, we can do nothing but use and abuse them for what they can give us. If they're giving to us what we want, we are provoking. We're arrogant. If they're not, we're envying and we're angry and we're bitter. Same thing can happen with children, parents. Your children are a gift from the Lord. Praise him for them every day. They are a wonderful gift. But if you make your children your gods... If you say, my children must achieve blank for me to be satisfied. They must be like this for me to be satisfied or like that. What will you do to your children? Either you will ride them so hard and turn the screws on them so hard that you will exasperate them. Or you'll indulge them and give them whatever they want to keep them happy because in their happiness, you're happy. Either way, what are you not? A good parent. I know I might have stepped on your toes, but I want you to consider it. If you worship your kids, you cannot parent your kids. Because who can parent God? Right? <laughs> to be a parent for your children, you got to have your heart full of something else besides your children. And the outcome of your children's life. Or besides yourself and how you feel because of the outcome of their life. 
We see this also with politics, right? People who run for office and all they really care about is power. They do the same thing. They do everything in their power to hang on to power. And it's almost like the only thing they do is campaign because they want to keep power. Or they treat their rivals bitterly and with disrespect and there's no, no sense of the good of the whole people that they're trying to lead. They don't serve. Instead, they lord it over. You see, idolatry, listen to this. Idolatry is never harmless. Paul is saying the opposite of walking in step with the Spirit is becoming conceited. It's filling your hearts with idols of all kinds. And it is not harmless. You will hurt yourself and others if you worship anything besides God either by provoking them or by envying them, and you yourself are going to become bitter and lonely and empty by the end of it all. Turns out, only God can be God. I know that's not not rocket science, but I want you to hear it because I know from my own part, it's like I forget it. I should know better. Only God can be God, of course. And yet here I am, filling my heart with a bunch of emptiness a lot of times. Why am I doing that? Why am I becoming conceited? Oh, it's because I'm not keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. It's because I'm not listening. I'm not loving what he says. Now lastly, let's look at what it does look like to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. And you can see that uh, in uh, chapter 6. Verses 1 to 10. There's too much in those 10 verses to go through line by line. I won't do that. But I just want to give you a sense of it. What Paul is doing is he's telling us about and describing the opposite of provoking and the opposite of envying. He tells us the opposite of provoking in verses 1 through 5 where he says, Brothers, I want you to bear the burdens of other people in your life. For example, if someone you know is caught in a sin and they fall into a sin and they they wreck their life, you shouldn't be all proud and arrogant and compare yourself to them and say, how dare you, I can't believe you're that terrible. Instead, you should, with a spirit of gentleness and humility, restore that person. You should love them. Because doing that is fulfilling the law of Christ. Well, why is that? Because Christ bore your burden. He took your burden. And so when you see the burdens of other people, you shouldn't run, you shouldn't wag your finger. Instead, you should try to come alongside and bear it with them. And then he says in verses 6 through 10, there's the opposite of envy. Brothers, I want you to share. So you have bear and you have share. I want you to share your good things with others. That's the opposite of envy. Envy wants other people's things to be yours. Give me, give me, give me, give me what they have, what they have, what they have. Sharing is take, take, take what I have. Let me bless you. And here he says it. You need to bless people. With some embarrassment, verse 6 says, you should share all good things with those who teach you the word. You guys do an awesome job of that. Thank you. I don't have to say any more about that verse because y'all got it. Thank you for your generosity and care. But as this passage goes on, it says not only care for your pastors, but it says, look, care for everybody. Verse 10 actually says everybody. 
those who are in the household of faith, of course, but also care for people who are outside of the faith that you come up against who have needs. Now, why do you do that? Because you know it says God is not mocked. People who give generously will receive back from the Lord. The Lord will crown their generosity with his blessing. What a man reaps, he will sow. If he sows to the Spirit, he will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Don't grow weary in doing good, he says, because we know that when harvest time has come in God's plan, you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. Do you see what Paul's doing? He said, if you don't follow the Holy Spirit, if you don't keep in step, you'll become conceited and you'll provoke other people and envy other people. But if you do follow the Holy Spirit, your mind and heart will become filled with God. And when your mind and heart becomes filled with God's glory, then you're able to bear and share instead of provoke and envy. That's the reason why he says, look, why do you bear? You bear because Christ bore for you. Fulfill the law of Christ. Do what Jesus did for you. Why should we give? Why should we share good things? Because God is not mocked. He's faithful. He will reward and he will bless generosity. You see what he's doing? He's filling our minds with the attributes of God to give us encouragement for doing what God wants us to do. And this is true of every attribute of God you'll ever find. And this whole Bible, guess what? It's full of attributes. It's full of God. It's obsessed with God. This is the reason why I love the Bible. The reason why I believe in it with all my heart. Uh, mere men would not have written this. Because mere men can only talk about themselves. I know how I am. I'm interested in my own stuff. I'm interested in my own plans. And this Bible is relentlessly obsessed with God. It won't let you be obsessed with yourself. It wants you to think about God. Oh boy, how I need this in my life. I need to read everything that's true about God so that my heart would be warmed to the kind of obedience that God wants me to walk out. His grace Paul is saying, leads to my own compassion because I love the fact that he showed me grace. His faithfulness leads to my generosity. We could go on. God's justice leads to security in an unjust world. God's omniscience leads to humility when I think I'm, I know everything. Obviously, I don't. Only he does. His omnipotence leads to courage in the face of danger because I know that all things are in his power and all things are in his control. We could go on forever. And that's a huge part of the Christian life. Coming to the scripture, asking the Holy Spirit to fill your mind and heart with the truth of the glory of God so that you could be motivated by it. Now listen. As you go to scripture and as God passes by and you see his glory, and you turn to look at him, here's one thing you will find. As you turn to look back at him, you'll find he's turned to look back at you. Parents, don't you know, when one of your kids walks in your room in the middle of the night, you know exactly which kid it is, even if the lights are off? 
How do you know that? Because you know them. You know the shape of their head, the way they walk, the, the height, the hair, everything. And after you get over that initial annoyance, you love them because they're your own. Don't you think if we know our children by the shape of their walk and their posture and their shape and we love them because we've recognized them, don't you think that our Heavenly Father knows His children by their walk and their posture and by their shape and when He sees us walking in step with the Spirit, when He sees us with the family gait and posture, don't you think his heart is filled with delight? If you don't think that, you should think that. Christian, God does not merely tolerate you. He loves you. He loves especially seeing his children walking in step with his Holy Spirit. Can you think of a better motive for obedience than that? I can't. Oh, how he loves us. And oh, how pleased he is to see us carrying the family traits. And so let's get after it. Amen? Let's pray together.